Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. It is good to be with you as we continue our pioneer series, walking through the book of Acts, examining faith and seeking to grow our own faith uh, through the study of God's word in our series, Pioneers. Very fitting title for a season in all of our lives when we're walking through something uncertain, something unknown, the future isn't necessarily clear, and at times we need that tremendous reassurance that God will go with us on whatever journey he has for us. And if you've been with us or have been uh, following this series, you'll note that the beginning of each message, we take a minute to just talk about a pioneer. Somebody who has pioneered and, and gone ahead and demonstrated a faith that we can look at and seek to emulate. And so uh, this week's pioneer, our whatever, whenever, however, um, is most famous for a date, actually, in 1947. It was April 15th that he has said to have broken the color barrier in Major League Baseball. Our pioneer this week is Jackie Robinson. If you don't recognize that face, the second it came up. And uh, what is often not noted about Jackie Robinson's story, which you may be familiar with, is the faith that he had, his personal faith. And it wasn't even till recently that a biography came out talking about the spiritual life of Jackie Robinson and even noting that of his wife and how that carried him through um, what had been guided a life that had changed so much and has changed so much. I wanted to emphasize his life a little bit today. Um, just leveraging a few articles, this one actually, um, Jackie Robinson and the Pattern of Jesus by Desiring God, John, uh, John Piper's website put this article out. Talks a little about of his faith and uh, some interesting quotes that are about this. But if you're familiar with the story at all, it begins with a man named Branch Rickey, the president of operations in the Dodgers organization. He was a, it's said to be a Bible-thumping guy whose faith made him determined to break down segregation in baseball, and he had a desire to bring an African-American onto his all-white Dodgers baseball team. Well, the search went for a while. He, he knew he couldn't get just anybody. This needed to be someone he felt could truly handle the calling that this would end up being. In fact, in this article, many uh, tellings of Robinson's and Branch's story, um, it says, omit the importance of their shared Christian faith. But a few biographers have endeavored to draw it out. Um, one points out that Robinson was a Christian and his faith was at the very center of his decision to accept Branch Rickey's invitation to play for the all-white Brooklyn Dodgers. Branch Rickey himself was a Bible thumper. Him, his faith led him to find an African-American ball player to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball. And at the center of one of the most important civil rights stories in all of America lies two men of passionate Christian faith. Branch had a strategy and his strategy would be this, we're gonna do desegregation in baseball with non-retaliation. And so he interviewed Jackie for hours, supposedly, and he had pointed him to the biblical account of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Ricky told Robinson, reading from this article, we can't fight our way through this, Robinson. We've got no army, 
There's virtually nobody on our side, no owners, no umpires, and very few newspaper men. And I'm afraid many of the fans might be hostile. Well, that is an understatement and a half. For the fans were far beyond hostile. The players were beyond hostile, many of them. Owners were beyond hostile. And this was not received well. The day that Jackie went out to first base for the Brooklyn Dodgers. You know, there's many stories, horrific stories. Uh, 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 if, you, if you're familiar, if you've ever had a child that was bullied, you're gonna feel this a little deeper. If you were ever bullied or anything like that, you're gonna feel this a little deeper. Um, beyond the name calling, he wasn't allowed to stay in the hotel with the other Dodgers. Um, the equipment manager would pick up his jersey with a stick out of fear to touch it. Um, he was given death threats, him and his wife, all the time. There was one incident in Cincinnati where he got his locker. When you go out to the field today, we're going to shoot you from the stands. And he had to walk out in faith. Jackie Robinson said his faith was very private. One of the reasons being Daniel was his hero and Daniel would pray in private uh, but as he would go out to first base, he'd be standing there even wondering if there was gonna be a shot that would come out from the stands, let alone the challenge of playing the game of baseball. All that surrounded it. In fact, it got so cruel, they say that one day in Cincinnati, that um, another player, Pee Wee Reese, walked over to him and put his arm around him. A statue now commemorates this moment outside of a minor league park. He put his arm around him as if to say, if you're against him, you're against all us Dodgers. Oh, the stories go on. There were a few Dodgers who were signing petitions that he'd be removed from the team. There were players demanding trades that wouldn't play with him on the team. The owner, Branch Rickey, went through incredible, incredible pressure, um, horrible things said, horrible things done. The stories go on and on and on. But their plan, and asking Robinson to commit to three years of no retaliation, just don't fight back, because if you do anything, if you throw a bat, if you freak out, if you scream, if you run into the stands, this will be over, it won't happen, it won't go forward, it'll just verify everything they want, and it won't be accomplished. Our goal, to have you be integrated into baseball and lead the path and blaze a trail for many young boys that looked like Jackie Robinson to play the game of baseball. You know, I thought about this. I mean, any kid who wants to play Major League Baseball, isn't their dream to be paid attention to and the success and the glory of sports, maybe the money and things like that? And here he is on this platform and he's literally being destroyed verbally, emotionally, physically throughout his life. It says that his faith really kept him centered through that time. And he lived a life thinking about others during that time. In fact, one of my favorite quotes is, a life is not important except in the impact it has on other lives. Don't return. They're gonna say horrible things. They're gonna treat you wickedly. But just keep playing the game. You know, Jackie Robinson didn't just break the color barrier. He, he, he destroyed the game of baseball. 
Robinson played 10 major league seasons. In 1949, his third season, he batted an astounding 342. Any baseball fans? 342. Drove in 124 runs, stole 37 bases. That season, he started in the All-Star Game and won National League MVP award. He batted 329 in 1953. When it was all said and done, he had played six consecutive All-Star games and led his team to six World Series appearances, including a seven-game World Series win in 1955. He retired from the game after 1956 season at the age of 37. Robinson was voted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1962 and tragically died of a heart attack a decade later in 72 at the age of 53. In April 1997, Major League Baseball universally retired Robinson's number 42, which means the number is now specially set aside in honor of him and no other player on any team can wear number 42 except on April 15th of each year, Jackie Robinson's day, when every player dons the 42. This is likely the highest possible honor in the sport. Pioneer, and many don't know that his faith and the faith of his owner was part of that driving force that got him through the incredible, incredible torture that he went through for years in a public eye. Our pioneer today. You know, there was a little boy who grew up in the California area who idolized Jackie Robinson. And said he said he, stopped, he didn't play basketball but played baseball because he wanted to be like Jackie Robinson. He said, I've always wanted to wear the 42. And it was his honor to be in a Major League Baseball uniform and wear his number 42 on April 15th each year when they, when they do the Jackie Robinson Day. And he wore it at Citizens Bank Ballpark. He was your shortstop for the 2008 World Series, Jimmy Rollins. Jimmy said, I'm in baseball because of Jackie Robinson. Jimmy shares a story that late in his career, he was traded from the Phillies, went to the Dodgers, and put on a Dodgers uniform and got to go out to shortstop at the tail end of his career and stand at shortstop with 42 on his back and Dodgers across his chest, and he was the reason. You know, we live in a society that says I want attention, right? Attention, please, attention, please, attention, please. I talked to a couple young parents. I said, have you ever had a little kid, one of your children? Daddy, daddy, mommy, 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 mommy. All the time, they said, all the time. Attention, I want your attention. I remember when our kids were specifically little, they would set up puppet stages in the house for us and mom and dad would come. There'd be sometimes food laid out, menus at times. And we'd get to watch puppet shows. They were horrible, but wonderful at the same time. You know, they'd pop out, are you liking this? Yeah, and they'd go back down. Attention, attention, attention. You know, today I want us to focus on this because something I really respect about our pioneer today is that he got a platform. And in a platform where you wanna draw all this attention yourself, all the attention he was getting was just hate. And I got thinking, we're all given platforms. Oh, maybe not Major League Baseball. But we're all given platforms how will we use our platform? Will we use it to gain attention or to give attention? Will the platform be used for me or will the platform be used for Christ? 
And when we begin to process that, it helps us want to live different. For our pioneer was challenged with a passage from the Sermon on the Mount by Branch Rickey, Branch Rickey that said, when he was reviled, Jesus, he did not revile in return. Children of God, I believe we need to hear this message because we are being tempted right now when someone shoots hate our way to shoot it back. <laughs> we are being tempted right now when someone takes a shot at what we believe to shoot back. And I wanna, I wanna encourage you that Jesus Christ lived a life that I think we can emulate that will be a lot more powerful a platform than maybe you've had in any other way. Attention, please. We all have platforms. What will you use yours for? Young person, what will you use your platform for? College student, what will you use your platform for? Senior saint, what will you use your platform for? Attention, please, look at me. Or attention, please, I wanna show Jesus Christ. It's our challenge today. It's our challenge to be like Christ in a world that uses its platforms for a lot of different reasons. May we be a church, may we be a people that uses our platforms for Christ. Before we dig into Acts today, let's have a word of prayer and let's watch a story of two men with two very different platforms and see how they use them. Heavenly Father, use our text today to inspire us. It's easy to to fall prey to the temptation to swing back, to punch back, to yell back, to shout back. But Jesus, you walk to that cross with people spitting in your face, hitting you in the side, making fun of your name, slamming crowns on top of your head, mocking you, whipped in the back, slammed on a cross, stood up in front of a group of people who jeered and yelled, and you are nothing, even close to soft. You're the toughest man that's ever walked the face of this earth. To be reviled with the power that Jesus had and to not fight back knowing there was a bigger mission is one of the most aspiring acts of all time, and it's the reason I know you as my savior. May you be given the glory in this message today. Amen. Attention, please. We've been looking at the life of Stephen. For the past two weeks, we've been going through Acts 6 and Acts 7. Stephen, this deacon, chosen out from among thousands of people to serve the Jews, was given a powerful gift of speaking and sharing the gospel. Oh, and he was electric. People came to hear this guy preach, and when challenged, they had no chance. He was just full of such wisdom. But unfortunately, last week we saw he was drugged outside the city and stoned to death. And I appreciate you coming back or rejoining us after a double murder last week. <laughs> but this week we're gonna see the ripple effect of that life. A life well lived. A life who shared the truth even into his final moment on earth when the stones would begin to hit his head and he'd be called home. I can't wait to talk to Stephen someday in heaven. But what kind of ripple effect would this leave on our growing church that we've been following here in the book of Acts? 
Well, in Lucan style, and when I say that, I'm referring to a hermeneutic or a study of scripture where you look at the author's style. In Luke's style, who wrote the book of Acts, he likes to introduce you to characters who will be coming later in his book. He just kind of dabbles with them. Well, we've been getting to know this one character. Many of you are familiar with him. He came from Tarsus, and it's where chapter eight begins. Looking at the execution of Stephen, Saul approved of it. Saul, we're gonna get into this Saul, but Saul was literally an out of control, out of control hater of the things of God. In the time of Acts, many followers of Jesus Christ were referred to as the way. They're following the way, okay? Um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this Saul looked at that as a horrific act that is against many of the pharisaical teachings that he grew up in. And he was out to shut this down. And he approved of this execution. And because of this execution of Stephen, look what happened. A great persecution against the church in Jerusalem began. It's almost like the murder of Stephen emboldened the enemies of the cross and it made them even persecute more. And here's what happened to the church. They were all scattered. This is where we get the word diaspora or scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So, so outside the apostles, the 12, they're all scattered about. The church is going everywhere. These new believers are scattered about and they're going into Samaria and Judea. <laughs> and devout men were back in the city and they buried Stephen and they made lamentation over him. Some of your translations read loud lamentation. Do you know even in that time they would sometimes hire professional mourners so that the whole city would feel the weight of this? Stephen was gone too soon. This was a young firecracker for Jesus and he was just gone too soon for them. And lamentation was going throughout the city of Jerusalem. You know, there's just some people, oh, in God's eyes, they're perfectly great in glory and they're doing wonderful. But in our eyes, they're gone too soon. They're gone too soon. Can I just give a, can I get, just give a minute here for those of you out there who have lost somebody too soon? I'm praying for you. We even heard a testimony from someone last week, joined the church, lost her husband just way too soon. And it was referred to as a special ache and a special pain. For all of you out there who've lost someone too soon, we're praying for you. We love you. I pray Jesus has got them wrapped in their hands. I pray you, they knew Jesus as their savior. But there's a special ache in you. And, you. and you won't get over it. But you will get through it. And I speak to that because that's the emotion of Stephen. This guy's gone too soon. No way. Not Stephen. Murdered in the street. Stephen? But Saul, Saul was ravaging the church. It's where we get the word rape in its original context. He was entering house after house. He dragged off men and women. Saul must have been strong as well. He's grabbing men and women, dragging them out of their house and sending them into prison. He's literally lost control. He's going house to house, ravaging the church. They're spread out. They're running. They're scattering about for this Saul is after them. And now those who were scattered, what'd they do? What? Look at this. Those who were scattered, they ran and hid and never said a word. No, 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 look. They went about preaching the word. 
Let me tell you something about the church. You can't shut her down. Amen? The gates of hell can't stand against the church. Oh, it might have to look different. And as things go, they might look different. But even when they're scattered abroad, what did these early believers do? They kept telling people about Jesus. It just seemed the more persecution, the more pressure the church was under, the more people heard about Jesus. This is not a good plan. They're scattering and telling more people. The work of the Lord just can't be shut down. And we meet Philip. Now, now, don't confuse this Philip with the apostle. This is Philip the deacon. Remember, seven were called out, Stephen, Philip. This is Philip the deacon, but Philip, I'm gonna call him the evangelist because Philip was a mighty evangelist. And, and it tells us what he did. It says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. Wait, 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 wait where'd you go, Philip? Samaria. Philip, you're a Hellenistic Jew. Okay, you're a Greek-speaking Jew. Um, you know how the traditional Jews uh, feel about Samaritans. They're half-breeds. Mixed race. The racism between the Jews and the Samaritans was on elite levels. I mean, these people weren't fully people. And here's Philip, here's the early church, and one of the calls of an evangelist in the early church is to go to the Samaritans. Do you think the Samaritans would just receive him? I'm sure they looked at him like, what are you doing here? You here for us? You against us? What is this? For, for Philip to go to Samaria, Philip is demonstrating a pioneer movement into the Samaritans, much like that of our pioneer we began the day with. But, but how many of you, any teachers here, you're looking at this going, hmm, I'm spotting something that seems wrong, Chris. I'm looking at your map. I see Jerusalem, I see Judea, I see Samaria, and I read here, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. So I'm gonna raise my hand here. So you might have a grammatical error or something's going on here, right? What? You know, it's fun, when your kids first start driving, they don't know where everything is and they don't necessarily have a map, all right? And one of our children would, from time to time, say, hey, I gotta head, uh, head down to Allentown tonight. You're not, you're not heading down to Allentown. You, you actually have to go up downtown, oh, whatever, okay? Yeah, whatever, okay? So, so Philip went down to, Chris, Philip went down to Samaria? Okay, now, now two reasons, okay? Let's, let's, let's do this a little bit here. Two reasons. One, one, Jerusalem sat on top of a mount, if you will, or at least on a higher ground. So to go to Samaria, they were like, okay, let's go. And they would go down, so we're going down. Now, they didn't have your precious Google Maps and everything to see that they weren't actually going down. They just felt physically, we're going down, so we'll go down. It was very much that. But by second, they kind of revered Jerusalem above every other city. And to go to any other city was to go down, for it was revered above any other and so there are some two different kind of things, a historical background to the text that helps us understand that. So when you see they went, Philip went down to Samaria, to these Samaritans, to these Samaritans, there's even more going on here. So what happened? 
What happened when Philip got there? Are you kind of curious? I mean, here comes this Hellenistic Jew. He's coming into an area where they're all different than him, and he's going to share Jesus. How, how are they going to receive him? And here's what happened. And the crowds, and the crowds, with one accord, paid attention. Oh, attention, please. He has a message. And they paid attention to him. It was they were paying attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, see, this is the time period in Acts where, where many of God's servants were given these miraculous sign gifts that they could lead people and show people Christ that this was different during this very different time in Scripture. And then it even continues and says, but watch what happened. For unclean spirits were even crying out with loud voices, and they came out of many who had them, and many were paralyzed or lame and were healed. So there was a much joy in that city. Oh, there was great joy in that city. Philip has arrived with this great message. Philip used his platform to preach good news, to preach the gospel. And on top of that, he was gifted in such a way that even unclean spirits were coming out of people. And what's going on there? See, unclean spirits in scripture, um, we can learn about them in something that's called a study of. And anytime you see a study of, it's anology, okay? And put in the front of it. So we're gonna call this the study of angeology. Angeology tells us about unclean spirits. They were all good angels, but there was one angel, his name was Lucifer. He grew jealous and envious of God. He wanted to be like him. And in his pursuit, pulled a third of the stars away or a third of the angels away to follow him, which are now commonly referred to as demons. And unclean spirits were affecting this area of Samaria. Well, why? Because three things about unclean spirits or demonic beings you need to know that scripture is very clear about. There are three types. There are those that are loose and active even to this day. Revelation 12, 4 says, his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. There are some that are temporarily confined. They'll be released in the end times. Revelation 9, 1 says, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. And then there's some that are permanently confined. They kind of left their abodes. They may have even intermingled with humans, possibly. They're permanently confined. Jude 1.6 tells about them. They're kept in chains until the final judgment. Thank goodness. Well, 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 who's this demonic leader leading this demonic activity? You know him as Satan. His name literally means the adversary. Lucifer became Satan. Here's, a, here's just some of his names so you kind of know who we're working with here that's leading the demonic realm. The devil, he's the accuser. He accuses people. You, 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 you think you are. He's the dragon. That means he's a deceiver. He's a serpent. He's a schemer. He's crafty. He's always scheming and always up to something. He is Beelzebub. Filthy, filthiness is, been, is, is his name, if you will. Father of lies, which means he's the author of lying. He's the first liar, he's the best liar. The evil one, he tempts, he even tempted Jesus. And the ruler of the world, he manipulates people to do his bidding. And when his 
presence is felt in an area, especially like Samaria, you begin to see things happen because of unclean spirits. Scripture tells us what can happen when unclean spirits are present. You can have physical infirmities or physical illnesses. Luke 13, 11, a spirit of infirmity was infecting the person. You, you can have mental impairment. Mark 9, 17 says they were trying to destroy him, the unclean spirits within this one person. There's a moral impurity. In, in Leviticus 18, these are unclean spirits. Expect moral impurity, sensual impurity, all of the impurities, expect that. There's a resistance to the truth. 1 John 4, 2 says these are false prophets. They're speaking, trying to get you to believe something's not true. They spread false doctrine. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, deceiving spirits, lying spirits. There's often harsh accusations where demonic activity is present. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Jesus be accursed. Uh, there is no acceptance. In fact, almost an anger towards the things of Jesus. And then, yes, demonic possession. Matthew talks about a demon being confronted, saying, I am legion, which means I am many. There are many of us in this person. I don't know if I want to live in Samaria. Philip, why did you go to Samaria? And wow, you mean... You mean that joy can be in Samaria in an evil area like that where was going on, so much evil was going on that one person could come in and make that much change that there'd be joy in the city? Philip used his platform in such a way that brought joy into just so much darkness. Can I ask you, child of God, do you bring joy into the room when you speak right now? Do you bring joy to people around you? Well, you, I can't. You see what's on the news? Do you bring joy to people around you right now? Well, I can't. I mean, this whole thing is frustrating. Do you bring joy to people right now? Jesus says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. That's how you're supposed to use your platform because that's my will for you. Use your platform. You can bring joy even amidst darkness. That's what Philip was doing, and it was impacting Samaria. But I got to ask a question. Why was Samaria so messed up? And I'm just going to give it a name, and its name is Simon the Sorcerer. You can read about Simon the Sorcerer in extra-biblical accounts even. Simon, not necessarily named the Sorcerer at that time, but Simon was a famous person. In fact, one of the most famous people in Scripture that we don't necessarily know of per se. Simon was known by anyone who lived around Samaria. And it was his town, and everyone paid attention to what he did. And Philip has come to town and brought joy in the city and is even casting out unclean spirits. And somebody is watching. Scripture says this, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that himself was somebody great. Do you know a Simon? Hey, I'm pretty great. He didn't need you to write about him. He would just write about himself. I'm great. They all paid attention to him, Scripture says, from the, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Who here is spotting something that Luke is trying to do? I put it in orange. They paid attention. 
They paid attention. They paid attention to Philip. They paid attention to Simon. Both men had platforms. Philip is using it to bring joy, even amidst darkness. Simon has brought it to bring fame to himself. We all have platforms. How will you use yours? Simon got his attention from practicing magic. We get the idea that Simon was very influential in dealings in the occult. Young people, the occult is a word you'll hear from time to time. If you look it up in the dictionary, you'll find its hidden secret and mysteriousness pertaining to the supernatural. Those of us who have been around the block just a little bit know that this isn't kid stuff. In fact, it's extremely dangerous to dabble in. Things like black magic, astrology, witchcraft, spiritism, fortune telling, Ouija boards, tarot cards, Satanism. Deuteronomy 18 had been warning the Israelites all the way back in the Old Testament, there shall not be found among you anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens. Be very careful. Watch out for this stuff. My mom doesn't tell a whole lot of stories. My dad tells them all. But my mom tells a story of a time she was at nursing school and was told by a Ouija board her friends were playing to leave the room because she was a Christian. My mom doesn't make stuff up. This is real stuff. It's unnerving stuff. And as a pastor who has spoken to somebody that has spoken back to me in a different voice than their own, I can tell you this isn't fake. The occult and darkness and evil are very real and are very part of what your scripture tells you is very true. Young people, please be careful. Hey, y'all wanna watch a horror movie and get scared and, and you know what, I never, let, I never let a movie get in the way of a good time. I mean, I remember one time a bunch of the guys were watching a movie I think it was called Scream or something. And we snuck up to the house knowing they were doing this, dressed in a certain way, diving at the windows, slamming them, watching them. Have you ever scared someone so bad you can see they're angry at you? That's a great scare. Because you've stolen part of their pride too. And, and so I get it. It's kind of funny. And you're like, Pastor, I know you gotta be all serious. But let me be dead serious. There is so much evil behind so many things that package themselves as no big deal. Do you understand that there are horror movies where movie, movie editors are praying to satanic powers to give them insight as to the images that they'll be able to portray to make the most money? We gotta be careful. And, and many of us diving into things, dabbling with things, exploring things, clicking things, you can mess yourself up so bad. I had a young person say to me one time, they said, Pastor Chris, I can't sleep at night. I got on YouTube late one night and I was just watching way too many videos about Columbine and now I'm all messed up. I sold too much stuff. I said, I know the curiosity button's there, but you gotta stay away. The more we, we live in this darkness of the world that is definitely there, the more it will impact us very deeply. When God says, don't hear me, 
It's not my quote, but I love it. When God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. Stay away from these things. They're not of God. But this is what Simon was doing, and it was impacting Samaria. But, 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 but when they believed Philip as he preached, what kind of news? Good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women, even in this dark environment. They were baptized. It's good news. I had somebody come up to me and say, hey, Chris, hey, Chris can I share some good news with you? I said, yes, a lot of it. Chris, hey, man, I just wanted to give you some good news. Go on. You got four hours to stop. I mean, who doesn't want to hear good news right now, right? Oh, give me some good news. I got good news for everybody. I got good news. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's with you at all times. He's got this, and he can change things even amidst the darkest situation, just like he did with Philip. And they started believing, and even Simon himself, what? Yeah, Simon himself after being baptized. Let's go, you know? I doubt Philip had a face shield on like Pastor Doug, but it was probably awesome. And and he continued with Philip and seeing great signs and miracles performed. He was amazed. Simon's like, what? What? This is awesome. Simon's even getting saved. And and, and then something happened. Peter and John were called. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is interesting. I want to go over something about transition period in Acts where the apostles are called to verify whether the salvations were occurring or not. It says this in verse 14 of chapter eight. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Okay, the two, the two savages, Peter and John, here they come. They came down and they prayed over them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, all right. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. But then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. What's going on here? Acts is a transition time. There were 12 apostles. They were the divinely appointed ones. And what they would do in the early teachings where the gospel was going out and Gentiles were coming to Christ, they would actually have the apostles come and verify the salvations. Now at Pentecost, remember, they were all believers there, but at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. So it seems as if the Samaritans were having physical baptisms, but the spirit baptism would come when the apostles came and laid their hands and prayed on them. Now, Paul has cleared this up for us in the New Testament. He says that the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. It happens right there. This is different because this is a transition time in Acts. And that's why sometimes it's just very difficult to build your theology out of Acts when things are changing so rapidly. But here come Peter and John, they affirm it through prayer, and Simon sees it and says, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through them on the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered him money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, whoa, I got some cash. Peter, John, I got some money. I'm rich, I'm a famous guy, Simon got some money and I, I want to give it to you because I want to do that thing where you go, Heavenly Father, and then they get to, I want to do that. How do you think Peter would take this? You guys all have met Peter. Yeah, it doesn't go that well. Here he goes. But Peter said to him, may silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money? You can't buy your way to heaven. Child of God, even to this day, we know that you can't buy your way to heaven. It is by grace you are saved by faith, 
not of works, not of what you made or anything you did. Why? Because then you could boast that you got yourself to heaven. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. Peter says, may silver perish with you. Just go back, I wanna stay on that verse. May your silver perish with you. You know, I can't really say kind of what the context is here. Um, it would probably get a lot of clicks if I say what Peter actually said, if I called the sermon title this, but he's basically saying, um, you know, go to beep with your money. That's how, that's how intense this is. Wow. Peter's fired up. This really offended him that he thought he could buy what God had given them. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent. Therefore, this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered and he said, pray for me. Pray for me to the Lord that, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. The commentators are back and forth. Did Simon know Christ and kind of just like walked in naivety and going, hey, I wanna do what you guys are doing, kind of just in this like boyish enthusiasm for the newfound change in his life. But then some believe that no, he never knew Christ and Peter was kind of affirming that he didn't by saying your evil heart, its intent is wrong. I, I tend to lean towards the latter. But, but you say, but wait a minute, didn't it say Simon believed? I got a verse for you. If you've never read this verse, it's haunting, okay? I'm gonna warn you. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And what do they do? Shudder, okay? Do demons believe there's a God? Yes, and what do they do? They shudder at the thought of it. How awesome is your God? Duh. Yes, he is, he is real. Wait, wait a minute, you're telling me you can believe God is God but not go to heaven? Let me ask you this. Do you think Satan thinks God is believable? <laughs> you bet. Going to heaven. So you're telling me there's some people who might have Jesus in their head? Oh, I believe in God, but they've never had him in their heart. For in that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. What about today? Do you have Jesus in your head, but not in your heart? It's often said there's about 12 inches here, right? Don't miss heaven by 12 inches. Even today, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you can be saved. You believe there's a God? Good. Even the demons believe that. Get on board. Give your life to him. And when you have him, you have everything. And no need to fear anything that's going on in your world or in your life. See a little kid out there, little kid out there, the conversation's a little scary at the dinner table. You lay your head down at night and you go, what is wrong with the world? You got Jesus with you, you good to go. You're in that room by yourself, you're in that hospital room. Somebody put this on for you that loves you and says, hey, check this link out. You're good to go if you got Jesus. If you don't got Jesus, 
That's the idea. That's the idea. Hey, what do we get out of Simon the Sorcerer? Let's do some application. Let's do some things that we can walk out of here and be different today because of this story. Because what happens next is just as exciting as well, but you'll have to join us next week. I think we can learn some things. I think one, we have to take evil very seriously. You know, scripture gives believers some heads up on how to handle evil being around them, okay? I'm gonna give you seven ways you can stomp it out in your life, like it's gotta go, we gotta stomp this out. First, avoid it. First Corinthians 14, 20, be babes in evil. Next time you're tempted, I want you to think, be a baby, stay away from it. But I have to know what's going on. No, you don't. But I have to be prepared. No, you don't. But then I won't be ready like you're gonna defend on yourself. You're gonna need Jesus five years from now, just like you need him tonight, amen? You ain't gonna get ready for it, okay? And you're not gonna stop it either, okay? You're gonna need Jesus. Be babes in evil. There's nothing wrong with turning evil off. In fact, moms, dads, think about what's going on in your house and say, where do we need to turn some evil off? Maybe if it's even in our conversation. Have no fear. Yeah, this verse is one of my favorite of all time, 1 John 4, 4. For he who is in you, the spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. You don't have to walk around like a loser. You're a winner. There's a great song that a missionary heard when he went to the camp, and, and they were going, Jesus is the wiener, man. And he's like, wiener? Jesus isn't a wiener? Jesus is the wiener, man. They were singing, Jesus is the winner, man. He said, to this day, my kids still sing, Jesus is the wiener, man. <laughs> he's the winner. Have no fear. Resist with faith, not resist with figuring it out. It's not resist with, I'll stay ahead. Resist with faith. With faith, Jesus, you're the same yesterday and today and forever. You will get me through this. I'm gonna stand firm in the faith. Respond with scripture. What did Jesus do when the devil was tempting him? For it is written, he said. When you're feeling tempted to fear, anxious, anger, frustration, when you're tempted, when someone reviles you to revile back, go hold up. It is written. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Respond with scripture. Respect the power. Do you know Michael Archangel didn't even mess with it until he was told to extinguish the devil from heaven? Yeah, he kicks him out. It's found in Revelation. But Michael is also to said to respect the power. There is a real power here. Unfortunate situation I had of going to a college dorm where a few college kids were messing around with demonic things and had brought some paranoid activity going on and we had to claim the name of Jesus Christ in an area. This is a real thing. Respect the power. Claim Jesus' authority. In Jesus' name, I've had this happen where we were here from people like, like, it just feels like our whole family's under attack. I mean, my son's going through this, my daughter's going through this, I'm having this going to my work. It just, you think, Chris, maybe, you think there's, maybe this is a supernatural attack? We don't want to give the devil too much credit, but do you think there's a chance? There's a chance. What do you think we should do? I would claim the name of Jesus Christ loud in that house. Really? Yeah, have the kids leave. You might look a little weird, Dad, but... You have no idea how many times I've walked through my house saying, Jesus, I'm the owner of this. Actually, the bank is still the owner of this house. But as the owner of this house, I claim the name of Jesus Christ over this house. 
may what I allow said in here, done in here, honor you. But Lord, if there's any uncleanliness, if there's anything we've brought in accidentally by something we've watched, if that family's an artifact they've brought from another country, if there's anything in here, would you point us to it and help us claim this territory for you in the name of Jesus Christ? It's powerful. And then finally, stay alert. You have an enemy seeking whom he may devour. Lord, give me discernment. Give me wisdom. Help me to trust that you will protect me from making bad decisions. There's so many out there I hear right now. I'm just afraid I'm going to get bamboozled. Just that's what the Holy Spirit's for. Ask him. Ask him for help that you would be able to stay alert. I'll tell you why. There are four ambitions by unclean spirits, and they're simple. They want to blind people from the truth. Do not be shocked, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. How come they don't get it? Because they're blind. Deceive people into bondage. John 8, you belong to the father of lies and your will is his. The, the ambitions of unclean spirits is to make people in bondage to addictions and substances and all the things that afflict and hurt them. The enemy is out to destroy people. It's so sad. They want to lead people into sinful actions. Oh, Acts 5, 3, Ananias of fire. Has Satan not filled your heart to lie? They want to promote bitterness and envy. James 3.15, bitterness, jealousy, and selfish ambition are unspiritual and demonic. That's my break sound. What? That's what I did in my study. What? Wait, envy and bitterness are demonic? What? Let me leave you with something in my notes, okay? I want to leave this with you. We had two guys with two different platforms. Philip used it to bring attention to Christ. Simon used it to bring attention to him. And so I got this title, Attention Please. And I'm thinking through how much the enemy wants all of our focus to be on ourselves. Protect me. Make me look good. Me, 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 me. Attention, please, attention, please, attention, please. And, and I've noticed in this verse, it led me to go, is evil that prevalent in envy? Do you know envy is demonic? Look at this. But if you have a bitter jealousy and a selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast in false tr- uh, and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. See, see, envy's really nasty. Just like, do you have anybody you're jealous of? No. Do you have anybody you're jealous of? No. Do you have anybody you watch on Facebook and you wish that was? No. Okay, see, jealousy, jealousy is, I kind of want what they have. I kind of wish we had what they had. I kind of wish we did this. I wish that we were like them. I wish we were like them. Envy's a little bit creepier. You know what envy is? It's not, I want what they have, I want what they have. It's this, um, I don't really want what they have. I just don't want them to have what they have. Whoa. I don't really want them. I just don't want them to have it. There's something nastier to it. And I got thinking, why is envy pointed so out? And then I realized, duh, Chris, wake up. Why did Satan fall? Envy, envy. 
Envy is a murderer, scripture tells me. Resentment kills a fool. When there's resentment in a marriage, it's destroyed. When there's resentment in a relationship, it's destroyed. When there's resentment at work, it's destroyed. And envy slays the simple. Envy is a murderer. Envy is a disease, scripture says. Proverbs 14, 30, a tranquil heart, a peace-filled heart is life to the body. But envy rots your bones. Envy is a divider. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And envy is resentful. And I saw Ecclesiastes, the wisest man to walk the face of the earth outside Jesus Christ, of course. I saw, I looked around and saw, you know Philip and you know Simon? He says, I've looked around and seen all of this, and I've noticed something about people who want things. I looked and I saw that all toil, all hard work, and all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless and a chasing after the... You wanna waste your life? Attention, please. Attention, please. Attention, please. You wanna have a life that's meaningful? Attention, please. If you're listening, I'm pointing to the Lord. Attention, please. I have something to tell you about him. I want to show you him. Child of God, we all have platforms. How are we gonna use them? Should we be posting things that say, everybody needs to beep and see this, and the next post is a Bible verse? What do you think? The idiots out here today, and then the next verse is, hey, everybody, just love you. How do we overcome evil, Chris? Evil seems so strong. Right here. Live here. Next verse. Here it is. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You mean to tell me the way to overcome evil is with goodness? Yeah, I don't know. How, do you, how are you so sure about that, Chris? Well, the Bible tells me so. If I wanna overcome evil within my family, within my life, with anything that's impacting me, I'm gonna pour in the good stuff and I'm gonna give out the good stuff. Next time you're reviled. What are you doing on first base? This is our Dodgers. Don't say nothing. You entrust yourself to him. Next time somebody hurts you deeply, says something even about your family, you entrust yourself to him. Next time somebody spits you in the face, whips you in the back, and nails you on a cross, if you will, you remember you're living the life of Jesus, and you overcome that evil with good. You all have been given a platform some of you might have five followers, some of you might have a thousand. What are you gonna use it for? Mom, you're gonna talk today in the house. You're gonna bring joy? Dad, you're gonna talk today in the house. You're gonna bring faith? We've all been given a platform. How are we gonna use it? Attention, please! Or attention, please. And in living a life like that, a life that sometimes has to take blows, 
You emulate the life of Christ. Heavenly Father, this is pioneer stuff. It's so easy to fight back. <laughs> it's so frustrating sometimes. And Lord, very honestly, we're living in a really tough year. It's been really hard on a lot of people. From losing people, to losing jobs, to losing businesses, to losing things they loved, to just feeling an overwhelming sense of sadness, maybe even fear. And amidst all that, we find ourselves, Lord, in, a, in an age where we all have platforms. And, and I just think you're uh, challenging us all, and we're all imperfect, Lord, we're sheep. We're sheep, we get scared, we get nervous. We get upset, we get mad. And Lord, in our opinion, sometimes we got some really good stuff to say. May we just steward our platforms to not bring it towards us, but to point it towards you. And in doing so, like Philip, we can walk into a place that's being ravaged by evil, a place that doesn't even welcome us in and share good news <laughs> and see people change for Christ. Thank you for the pioneers who are willing to even sometimes take abuse by returning none and living out Jesus Christ. May we be challenged to use our platform to do the same. Amen.